Welcome to the teaching ministry of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Family Church in Ohioville, Pennsylvania. We pray you are challenged in your walk with the Lord through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly Family Church or to subscribe to our free podcasts, please visit us on the web at cafamily.net. Tonight we're talking about Jesus on the subject of prayer. Last week we talked about some things Paul talked about with regard to prayer. And tonight, just had it in my heart to talk about some things that Jesus said on prayer. I think he's qualified. Do you? I think he's authoritative. Do you? And I believe he can share some things with us that would be beneficial to us. And so we may do this for a few weeks. Possibly we'll see whatever he puts in, whatever he puts in our hearts. So in Matthew's gospel, chapter six, beginning at verse five. Well, before we get there, before we get there, let's say this. In uh, Matthew chapter three, we see Jesus coming to John the Baptist and being baptized in water and saying that he had a need to fulfill all righteousness. And so he did. Chapter four, the first few verses, we see him being led of the spirit to the wilderness where he is tempted of the devil and overcomes every temptation. We see him leaving that place going into Galilee and we see him proclaiming the gospel, the good news to the people. Along the way, he picks up Peter, James, and John and together they watch him. In the latter part, verse 23 of chapter 4, it says, they brought to him all that were sick in the whole region round about. And he healed all their sick. He cast out devils, set the captives free. And they had never seen the likes of it in their lifetime. None of them. And they were absolutely amazed at what they saw. We're talking about people that were demon-possessed, epileptic, people that had every form of sickness and every form of disease all were healed by Jesus. And I've shared this with you before. The first time I read the Gospel of Matthew, when I first got saved, I was in my mill crane, fell to my knees when I saw that, and I just said, said out loud in my crane, Jesus, I didn't know you loved us that much. I never realized that, didn't know that, that you even care about our physical well-being as well as spiritual. Because it says he healed everyone that came to him. And they marveled. And then we see him going up in the mountain and preaching one of the greatest, if not the greatest, sermons ever preached. The Sermon on the Mount. And wow, no one ever heard anything that he taught before like this. You heard them say that he teaches like he has authority. It's like he really knows God. Not like the Pharisees, not like the, the religious leaders of the day. I mean, you should hear him speak. You should hear him preach, right? And he shared some wonderful truths about the Father heart of God. Oh, what a wonderful, loving, heavenly Father he is. They never saw him that way before. But then he goes on after they saw these miracles and answers a request of his disciples. Teach us how to pray. If you saw all that take place, you'd want to know how to pray like that too, wouldn't you? Blind eyes being open, deaf ears being open, the lame walk, those that are demon possessed or set free, anybody would. 
So teach us how to pray. Now when we look at this prayer that's called the Lord's Prayer in just a moment, we need to be mindful of the fact that this is something that he taught before going to the cross. Because at the end of his life, before going to the cross, he kind of changed some things up. In this prayer, you will not hear the name of Jesus. But when he left, he said, now, hitherto you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you shall receive, that your joy may be full. So in other words, he kind of shifted some things over. We'll talk about that in a little bit later. But anyhow, Matthew. Matthew chapter 6, verse 5. And when you pray, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues in the corners of the streets, that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But thou will not pray, enter your closet, and when you shut the door, pray to thy Father which is in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. But when you pray, use not vain repetitions, as the heathen do, for they think they shall be heard for their much speaking. Be not therefore like unto them, for your Father knoweth what things you have need of before you ask him. After this manner, therefore pray ye, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Now remember, Jesus said that my Father always hears my prayers, and he always answers my prayers. Can you imagine him standing before the gravesite of Lazarus when the stone is rolled away and saying, Father, I thank you that you heard me. If there was not one ounce of doubt in him, can you imagine if by any degree he doubted the Father heard him? Heard him say what? This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God. Think about that. And then he calls him out and praise God. He's raised from the dead after four days. I'd call that an answer to prayer. I'd call that effective praying, wouldn't you? What a powerful thing. Well, did that just happen? No, it happened because Jesus walked in intimacy of fellowship with the Father. He said, everything I do, I see the Father do. Whatever I say is what he tells me to say. And so, because of his closeness and intimacy of fellowship, he didn't act foolishly, aimlessly. He did exactly what he saw, what he heard that he was to do. So, the first thing he says to us, to everyone who wants to learn how to be effective in prayer is, how not to pray. Notice that verse 5 again, how not to pray. When you pray, don't Thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are. They love to pray standing in the synagogues in the corners of the streets that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have the reward. So people that want to be seen publicly. And remember, this is back in that day when they would hit the streets. They'd prepare themselves to be in prayer so publicly they could be seen of men. And the reward that they get is the reward that comes by way of man. 
Would you rather have the reward of man or God? So they have the reward. What's the reward? Hey, that brother over there, he's a great prayer, man. You should hear him pray publicly. Like we hear him all the time. Well, you'll get the praise of men. But we should rather have the praise of God than the praise of men. Amen. So he said, don't do that. Don't follow that example. Next in verse 7, don't use vain repetitions as the heathen do. They think they're going to be heard for their much speaking. Now, vain repetitions, notice he says, as the heathen do. Notice here in your notes, I put pious Antony. The gods preserve thee. Gentle Antonine. The gods preserve thee. These are statements that would be made over and over and over and over again for, in some cases, a three-hour period. Just the same way, over and over and over again. So they think they're going to be heard for their much speaking and vain repetition. If they keep saying it over and over and over and over again, I guess they feel as though they can get the gods to move on their behalf and do whatever it is they requested. And Jesus says, don't do that. Don't pray vain repetitions. And then... He tells them how to pray. Look at verse 6. But you, when you pray, enter your closet, shut the door, pray to your Father which is in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. In other words, find yourself a place of secrecy, or you can pray privately. Every Jewish house had one of these rooms above their porch. It was equipped that way. Their, ceiling, their, their roof, rather, would be a place where they could, in the cool of the day, in the evening time, walk up there, converse up there, and have time of meditation up there. But then above the porch, there was this room, and that was the room of privacy. That was the room of secrecy. That's the room where they would go into, shut the door, and just get alone with God and just sit in His presence. You know, we live in a society today that doesn't promote that. You realize that? Try to find a place of secrecy where you can spend time in prayer. It's not an easy thing to do. Sometimes you just need to get out of the house, go to the woods somewhere, and get alone with God. There's so many distractions that we have in our society today. You can't even meditate when you walk into a store because all this music is playing. That's why sometimes I use my place of secrecy, my car, where I have everything turned off and just listen to God or just pray. But he is saying, enter into a solitary place where you can be alone with God. And you can think, you can meditate, you can pray, you can interact, you can have intimacy of fellowship with the Lord. That's what he says we're to do. And the reward for you will be this. God will reward you openly. People, they may not see the results always of what you're praying about. But your prayers will be effective. You could be rewarded with the salvation of a son, the salvation of a daughter, or a friend, a co-worker. Anybody ever hear of the name George Mueller? He was an individual that was told that he was too sinful for him to be licensed to preach and to do what he wanted to do to establish orphanages and that sort of thing. Can you imagine that? You're disqualified. This is before he got saved. Then he gets saved. And they say, well, you were too, you know, dishonest. You had a bad life. You were too sinful, et cetera, et cetera. And so he just went about and did it on his own. 
he sought the Lord. The Lord put things together, enabled him to do it. And he was responsible for many individuals to be provided for in his orphanages. And he opened up different orphanages. And he had this prayer life where he believed God. And he had a certain individual in his heart that he prayed about every day, giving thanks to the Lord for his salvation. And he was very difficult to reach. You know anybody like that? Yeah, I'm sure we all do in our families or among our friendships. And they just don't want to hear it about God. Well, he just kept on thanking the Lord day in and day out. It finally came to pass. It came time where he died. And this fellow that he was praying about, praying for, got wind of it and went to his funeral service. At the funeral service, he bowed before the people and accepted Jesus Christ as his personal Savior and Lord. And that's a major reason why we continue thanking the Lord. You see, when it seemed like nothing was going to happen, even in his lifetime, and he actually died. But you know, the Bible says our prayers are captured in vows full of odors, which are the prayers of saints before the throne. And I believe this. When you and I move to heaven, should Jesus tarry his coming, your prayer life is still effective here on the earth for the ones you've been praying about and praying for. They're captured right there before the throne of God. And I believe that God will honor the prayers of his people. So imagine this. This person finally gets saved after all these years of rejecting the things of God at his funeral service. So we don't give up. Whatever it is you're believing God for, don't stop thanking him for the answer, even though it may seem like as though it's never going to happen. It's through faith and patience we inherit the promises of God. Amen. Look at Acts chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. Uh, the upper room we're talking about, and just the expression takes you to the book of Acts, right? Where they were in the upper room in Acts chapter 1. And when they were come in, they went up into an upper room where abode both Peter, James, John, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon, Zelotes, and Judas, the brother of James. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brethren. Where were they all at? In an upper room. See, once again, we get this idea, where's the upper room? What is an upper room? It's above the front porch of the house. And in some cases, they're larger than others. Apparently, they had one that can house all these 120 people. But where they were there, where they would meet, even for corporate or collective prayer. And so that's where they were in the upper room on the day of Pentecost when the Spirit of God came down and they all got filled with the Holy Ghost and power. So we know that they had those places. You might have your own special place where you want to get alone with God and just say, this is where I meet with God. Okay, so Jesus taught us it's more important to pray privately than even publicly. Nothing wrong with praying publicly. But make a habit out of praying privately. Number three, Jesus doesn't specify when or how often we are to pray. And why? Why doesn't he say, I want you to pray three times a day? Because he wants prayer to be voluntary, not mandatory. Think about it. The relationship that we have with our Father is a love relationship. From the very beginning, what did he want man to do? Set his love back on him voluntarily wasn't mandatory 
The tree was there in the garden. You can choose good and evil. It's up to you. And they chose wrong. God wanted them to choose right, but they didn't. We can choose to pray. Look, the stage has been set. The path has been made. The holy of holies is exposed. We can all enter in by the blood of Jesus Christ. Whether or not we do is up to who? Up to us. And what does he want? I'm not insisting that you pray three times a day. No. It's up to you. But the door is open. It's open wide. You can enter in. We can have sweet fellowship. We can develop an intimacy of fellowship. But it's up to you. He wanted it to be voluntary. And then also we see that if he would have regulated prayer, then Christianity could have been legalistic. In the Islamic faith, they had to pray. They have to pray five times a day. It's mandatory. So if you regulate prayer and just say you've got to pray five times a day, it can become a dead cold experience in religion. Empty. He didn't want that. Now what he wanted was, just like we did tonight, I don't know about you, but it was just so special just to come here before, you know, the, everybody joined together right here before the platform and just love on the Lord. You might think, well, why do we come? Why do we have to come? You don't have to come. But there's something about just leaving there, gathering with other people, and just being in his presence, not acknowledging anything else, maybe cutting, sh closing your eyes and just lifting your hands and just saying, Father, I just love you so much. I thank you for who you are in my life, for what you've done for me. I'm here just to honor you in this place. Now, there are some considerations when it comes to um, prayer. Look at the number one. Even though he didn't say pray five times a day, pray in the morning, pray in the evening, etc., etc., there are some considerations to look at. Here we see David made a decision what he was going to do in Psalm chapter 5. Look at verses 1 through 3. Give ear to my words, O Lord, consider my meditation. Just stop and think about that just for a moment. Consider what I'm thinking about. I'm discussing with you in my thoughts, in my thought life. Hearken to the voice of my cry, my King and my God, for unto thee will I pray. Now look at the next verse. My voice will you hear in the morning. O Lord, in the morning will I direct my prayer unto thee. And look at this. And look up. You know what? He could look up, but we could look within. Because you know why? If you were to study the scriptures on this particular subject, you'll find out that it could be this expression could be the most, let's say, used expression in all the Bible. That God said, I will be a God to you and you shall be my people. Verse after verse after verse after verse. I will be a God to you and you shall be my people. In the New Testament, you shall be my sons and daughters. I'll be a father to you, and you'll be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord. What does that tell us about our walk with God, our relationship with God? It's a close, loving relationship where he wants our fellowship. He wants us to be in his presence. And what's more appropriate than this? When we rise up in the morning time, and we realize that 
we're not in eternal glory. We're still on the planet, right? We recognize that. And we just go, man, thank you, Father, for seeing me through the night. Thank you. And now with all the duties and all the dangers of another day, how many of you know that each day presents duties and each day presents dangers as well that we have to be aware of? Because we've got an enemy out there who wants to steal, kill, and destroy, right? But even though in the midst of all that, how appropriate to say, but my eyes are on you, Lord. You will hear my prayer in the morning. I will thank you for seeing me through the night. I will thank you for the strength for another day. I will thank you for, and then just whatever it is. But you will hear my voice in the morning. How many of you love hearing the voice of your son or daughter? Of your spouse? Of your parent? Whoever. Someone special in your life. And you hear their voice. Maybe you haven't seen your son or daughter for a while because they were here, there, moved out, whatever. Maybe they were in the armed forces or whatever. And then you just hear their voice. What does that do on the inside of you? Can you imagine the father on his throne when someone dials up his number? Jeremiah 33, 3, call upon me and I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things. That's his phone number. Jeremiah 33, 3. And just saying, Father, I just want you to know that I'm here not to petition anything from you. I'm here to tell you how much I love you and how much I care about you and how thankful I am for who you are and all that you've done for me. Can you imagine what that does to his heart? You see, if we want to be effective in prayer, it's born out of a relationship, an intimacy of fellowship, which is why Jesus was always 100% effective in prayer because he said, I only do what the Father tells me to do. It's got to work if he tells you to do it, right? Go wash in the pool of Siloam. See, the Father told him to tell him to go wash in the pool of Siloam. He comes back seeing. Go dip in the river seven times. See, it has to work. There has to be results. There has to be results because he's doing exactly what God said to do. So in other words, we're not trying to get God to fit into what we want him to do. We're fitting it into what he tells us to do in prayer. So in that place of intimacy and prayer, we carry out the mandate. We do exactly what he tells us to do. Now the next one, look at Mark's gospel, chapter 1, verse 35. What an example to follow. And in the morning, rising up a great while before day, he went out and departed into a solitary place. Notice that. A solitary place. You could say he practiced what he preached. Right? And there prayed. So Jesus got away from the hustle and bustle of where he lived and all the things that were going on around him. Now, and here's the question. If Jesus, our Lord, needed to get away to a solitary place so he can have that kind of intimacy with his father to get the game plan together to find out what God wanted him to do how much more do we need to get alone with God and find out Lord what do you want me to do I'm all ears see we need to spend that time in a solitary place where we listen to what he tells us to do and praise God we'll get results 
Uh, another time is found in Psalm 121. This is a beautiful psalm. In the evening before we go to bed at night, how appropriate is it for us to give thanks to him that we can rest our head upon the pillow of his promises. You realize you're in your most vulnerable position when you fall asleep? Right? We are. I mean, we're out of it. Someone says one time, wonder what it's like to die. Go to sleep. You don't know anything that's going on. Right? Absolutely. You don't. You're asleep. You're out. You're vulnerable. Don't know what's going on around you. But you can rest your head upon the pillow of his promise. And look at Psalm 121, and we can see a part of what he says he would do for us. I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills from whence cometh my help. My help cometh from the Lord which made heaven and earth. He will not suffer thy foot to be moved. He that keepeth thee will not slumber. He doesn't fall asleep on the job. Behold, he that keepeth Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is thy keeper. The Lord is thy shade upon thy right hand. The sun shall not smite thee by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord shall preserve thee from all evil. He shall preserve your soul. The Lord shall preserve thy going out and thy coming in from this time forth and even forevermore. That's that wonderful to read that before you go to sleep at night. Father, I can just, without any anxiety, without any worry, without any fear, rest my head upon the pillow of your promises. You don't, you're not going to go to sleep tonight. I know that. So there's no need for me to worry, to fret, or to be in fear about anything. Because surrounding me, I know your everlasting arms. I know your angels are loose to minister for us because we're the heirs of salvation. And I know, praise God, that no matter what it is, I can trust you to do exactly what you said you would do. See, it, that's what faith is all about. You find out what God said. I believe it. I trust him. And I'm thanking him for doing that. Praise God. Thank you for the provisions of the day. Thank you for the food we eat, the water we drink, the clothes we have, the financial resources you provide for us, maybe the cars we drive, maybe the house that we live in. We're so thankful to you for our health, our salvation, number one, our health. Thank God for a right mind. Thank God for a wonderful family. There's so much to be thankful for. So here we have two suggestions. In the morning time, I'm going to thank him when I get up that his spirit of obedience rests upon me. That he can help me and assist me throughout the course of the day to perform my duties and also to avert the dangers. But when I go to bed at night and I just say, oh, thank you, Father. You've, you've seen us through another day. And we're so grateful for your faithfulness to preserve us and protect us and to keep us and also through the night. Look at the next one. Uh, when we find ourselves in difficult situations where we're challenged, uh, look at Second Chronicles in chapter 20. This is Jehoshaphat. We won't go into all the details of it, but you know the story. They're challenged by three armies. I call those armies the devil, the world, and the flesh. The devil ever bother you? He'll try. Does the world get on your case sometime? He'll try. It'll try. What about your flesh ever bother you? Your flesh will bother you from time to time, right? Want to rise up and act up and do its own thing? Well, we can look to him to get direction. And this is exactly what Jehoshaphat did. These armies were coming against them to destroy them. I mean, there was a, really, if you think about it, at first, they were afraid. There was a reason to be afraid. I mean, they're talking about extinction, being wiped off the planet by these armies coming against them. 
And so part of his prayer is this, O our God, will thou not judge them? For we have no might against this great company that cometh against us, neither know we what to do. But you know what? Our eyes on you are on you. My focus, my attention, I'm giving to you. Sometimes being in a place where there's no other help is a good place to be in. Because there's no other resource for help. Right? You can't turn to this. You can't turn to that. Really what calls away and eats away at our faith is having all of the kind of resources, living in a country where we have access to this, 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 this to help us along the way. And what does that do? It kind of takes away from our faith in God life. We trust you. We believe in you. Because you see, some of it goes this way. Some of it goes that way. Smith Wigglesworth. Anybody remember his name? Raised so many from the dead, right? Before he died, he said, it'll be a much more difficult task to get people healed after his departure in the upcoming years. He says, because of the advancement by man in the areas of medical science, etc., etc. He says, because the faith of many will shift from looking to God and believing God to what man can do, which there's nothing wrong with using anything that man can help us with, but not at the expense of exclusively believing man and leaving God out of the equation. Let's face it. If it's easier to just pick up, let's say, an aspirin, some Tylenol, or an Advil when you have a headache, then people get accustomed to doing that. Because it's easy to do. It may be a little bit more challenging just to say, wait a minute, let me open up my Bible. Do we have that same kind of confidence that taking that medication will help us in God's Word by taking it, opening up, and just saying, I'm going to read this as medicine to my flesh because Proverbs 4.22 says that His words are life, are health to all of our flesh. Life to us and health to all of our flesh. So the point is, gradually our faith erodes from God and it's shifted over into other areas. And again, nothing wrong with getting medical help. We're not saying that at all. But we need to watch that our, our faith is not exclusively in what man can do because the time will come when you'll be like we were with Andrew at the hospital and the doctor said, there's nothing more we can do. He's going to die in your arms or die in surgery. Take your pick. And I'll be honest with you, that's a challenging time. But doctors, do what you have to do, and God will do his part. And that's a time we can't be ashamed of what we believe. God will do his part, and we thanked him for doing his part. And he got a miracle. You believe he'll be 18 this month? You believe he actually drove me to Hank's yesterday? I needed that ice cream when I got there got a double dip. <laughs> no, he actually did a good job. He did a really good job. I was very impressed with his driving. He really wants to get his, his uh, license. But I love the way teenagers think, especially like an Andrew. Know what he said? Uh, Dad, I just can't wait to get my license, and I think I want to get a Honda Civic. 
I said, son, don't you think you better get a job first before you get a Honda Civic? <laughs> that might be helpful, wouldn't you say? Should, we, should I teach you about car insurance and putting gas in and all the things that go along with uh, owning a car? I said, for now, why don't you just think about driving the cars that we have? We're kind of sharing. <laughs> so anyhow, look at the next one. When uh, we're tempted, anybody ever get tempted? We've all been tempted, right? Okay, look at the book of Hebrews. This is from the New Living Translation. Chapter 5. When Jesus was here on earth, he offered prayers and pleadings with a loud cry and tears to the one who could rescue him from death. And God heard his prayers because of his deep reverence for God. Even though Jesus was God's son, he learned obedience from the things he suffered. This is a reference to him at the rock in the garden. And when you and I think about that, Jesus being at the rock in the garden, we also realize that Jesus had a revelation of to what extent he would have to suffer. And once again, it's something beyond our comprehension. When we think about his visage being so marred more than any man, when we think about him actually becoming sin, he who knew no sin, it's easy to say, never tasted sin, never tasted death, never tasted separation from the Father. Pure, holy is the Son of God. But he's now aware of the fact that his time has come. And at the rock in the garden, he is under the extreme pressure of going through with it Knowing that by becoming, by becoming sin, he's going to separate himself from his father. He's going to take on a nature that he's never had before. He's going to be our substitute. He's going to take upon himself the full wrath of Almighty God. He's going to descend into the bowels of the earth, as Acts 2 says, into hell. And he's going to suffer this full wrath of God for humanity. And I, once again, when people challenge that, I just kind of say, do you think that Jesus was a weakling? Do you know how many people died on a cross? 30,000 in that time that Jesus was here on the earth. Do you think that one went to a rock in the garden somewhere? First of all, they were already incarcerated. They couldn't get to a rock in the garden. They were incarcerated. Did they lay there in their jail cell and just cry out and whine and everything and, and, and go through all those things? Look at the two on the cross that were next to Jesus. First beginning mocking him. And then one says, don't you respect him? We belong here. Hey, buddy, we belong here. Were they crying out for their deliverance? No, we deserve to die this way because we're criminals. Thieves, robbers, murderers. That's who we are, right? But Jesus, dying no differently other than becoming sin. If this doesn't command our allegiance, I don't know what does. He became sin. He bore the wrath of God. He suffered for us beyond anything we can possibly imagine. That's what he did for us. And so with these strong tears, for that moment he said, Father, if it's possible. Now remember, he is sweating as if it were drops of blood. If it's even at all possible 
for it to be done any other way. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine will be done. I've got to do it your way. So all the way through the, to the end, that's exactly what he did. He obeyed the Father. He did it his way. But he learned that during the time of trial and tribulation, we can cry out to God. So we're up against what? Temptation in this life. Testings, trials, persecutions, afflictions, all these things coming our way. And sometimes we don't recognize it. If we have shortcomings, faults, failures, etc., etc., weaknesses in our lives, it's time to get like Wigglesworth did when he was given to anger. He got himself into a solitary place. He got on his face before God. And he said, I am not coming out of this room until I am delivered completely from anger and its effects. You can be angry, but sin not. And don't let the sun go down upon your wrath. And he came out from that place after the Holy Ghost and fire fell upon him in that place and made a marked difference in his character, his personality, his attitude. You know what? There's something about this. I know we're not going to get to the rest of our sermons. That's okay. There's something about this. When we go over scripture over and over and over, over again, and we think we know it, but we don't really know it, do we? Until sometimes we really get a glimpse. Oh, I see it now. I see it now. I'm not to tolerate this in my life. I'm to present it to the Father. I'm to come before the throne. I'm to identify it in my life and just say, you know what, Father? By the power of the Holy Spirit who is within me, change me from the inside out. When it comes to marital relationships and you've got two people coming together and they come together, you know, and God brings them together. And because of the fall of man, you know, men think one way, women think one way to get them together is not an easy thing to do because you got a devil also putting all kind of, you know, roadblocks in the way. Change me, not her, change me. And him saying, or her saying, change me as well. I want to represent you well. I want to be the husband you want me to be. I want to be the wife you want me to be. I'm not going to make any excuse for any shortcoming, fault, or failure in my life. Because you know why? I can come to your throne. And the closer I get to your presence, the more the fire I experience. And the more I experience transformation and change in my life. You know, when God in the beginning created, you know, there's two words for create. To create something and to make something. To form something. When he spoke, he created all the heavens, all the heavenly bodies, did he not, into existence? He spoke and the stars came into being. So in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, we can say. But then also some things he formed. For example, he said, let the earth bring forth. Some things he created and some things were brought forth, formed from the ground. Let the earth bring forth. Where did the animals come from? From the earth. Where do trees grow? In the earth, bearing fruit, etc., etc., right? Well, where did man come from? Let's put it this way. Where did man's body come from? He made it from the dust of the earth. What sustains man's body? What gives it its physical strength and sustenance? Where does it come from? The earth. The earth sustains it with food, fruits and vegetables, etc., etc. Pizza, you know, 
fruits and vegetables. We're all there. Okay. When the physical body dies, where does it go back to? Because where did it come from? The earth. It was formed from the earth. It was the earth that sustained it. And it goes back to the earth. Ashes to ashes. Dust to dust. Earth to earth. When a person dies. But you are a spirit. Where did you come from? You ready for it? You came out of God. You came out of God. God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and he became a living soul. Man did not come from the dust. Man came out from God. Who sustains this man on the inside? God does. When you depart, where do you go? Be with him. You go back to be with him because we're spirits. See, see sometimes people get confused at some particular funeral services because they talk about the person don't know where the person is at maybe they're here maybe they're there first they're there and the confusion is the, the body stays here and goes back to the dust of the earth but the spirit and soul go to be with the Lord if they knew Jesus if not they go to a place of suffering and then at the resurrection of course when Jesus comes in the clouds of glory we know that this body that's now dust will be once again glorified and spirit and soul will be reunited so then, praise God, we have this body that we used to live in, in a glorified state. So we came from God. It will help us to know that. We came out from God. But guess what? The old devil came along, and what did he do? He tempted man to disobey God. You know why? Because he disobeyed God. And because he disobeyed God, who used to worship God and lead worship in glory... And he got booted out because, you see, he wasn't allowed to do what he did. Be like a plant. If a plant comes from the earth and gets upset with you and says something like, I'm out of here. What's going to happen to the plant? It's going to die because it's supposed to be sustained. How? Here. Well, when Adam and Eve, you see, failed God, what did they do? They said, I'm going to act on my own apart from you. When Lucifer did the same thing, what did he do? I want to act on my own apart from you. Whenever anybody separates themselves from God and his will for their lives, which we're going to get into when we talk about this Lord's Prayer, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. When everybody does that, they separate themselves, themselves from God. What happens? They die. And that's exactly what happened to Adam and Eve. That's what hap happened to Lucifer. He died and, and lost that life that God had given him and so on. And so we now, because of Adam and Eve separating themselves from God, rebelling against God, and you can all probably imagine the devil himself just laughing. Who's going to worship you now? Who's going to serve you now? Because now they're, they're dead. They have the same nature that he has. It's going to be hard to imagine this. You think we can really follow through with this and, and think it through to the end? So since man's in a fallen state, he can't be reunited to God. God took on dirt in the form of human flesh. And he became a man. And he walked on the planet. But the difference when he died, his flesh would not see corruption. 
His flesh would not see corruption. He became what we were so that we could become what he is so that we could be reunited, reconciled back to the Father. You know why? Because we came out from God. So he came here to rescue us out of the dirt by taking on dirt and then dying for us. Isn't that something? You think that through? Aren't you glad he did? Praise God. So he says, now look, look, people, when you pray, start right there. Oh, Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Let's all stand together.